listen, man, I'm all about killings. I'm all about fucking, you go in and you fucking destroy everybody else. You know, you meet Kelly Slater, and anybody who's watching this that knows Kelly Slater knows, Kelly Slater's the nicest guy in the world. Unless you're on a fucking surfboard surfing next to him, you know? Then he wants to absolutely fucking demolish you. Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. Dana White is on the show this week and the reason the UFC's president is on a surf podcast is because he is the producer of The Ultimate Surfer. Surfing has its uh, first, I think it's a first, a very own reality TV show. And the format of the show is 14 surfers all live together and compete together. To become the ultimate surfer, there'll be two winners from the show, one male and one female, and each winner gets 100,000 Gs prize money. And then what makes this show different to any old reality TV show is that three of the, three of the people from the show will actually end up receiving wild cards and making it onto the tour. So it has, has some real life consequences. I mean, money is real, I guess, but the a real world tour life consequences is what I'm trying to say. Consequences to us, the surf fan. And of course the show is a franchise version of his show, Ultimate Fighter, that was massively successful. And yeah, so Dana White uh, yelled at me for half an hour or so and, and surf filmmaker Mikey Malalu was in the stab office after I finished the interview and I was so fired up. I basically just started yelling at him because – that's how Dana White talk, taught me to speak if I want to be successful. And that's how you win in life. He, he just yells in this self-assured froth. And it's pretty compelling. So... In surf news this week, the ISA games are on. And it's been a bit of a debacle a lot has happened, but I'm going to try and break this down for you as quickly as possible. So firstly, what is the ISA? You might be wondering if, you, if you're not across uh, this organization. The acronym stands for the International Surfing Association. And I looked up on their website uh, and this is what it says. It says, founded in 1964, the ISA is recognized by the International Olympic Committee as the world governing authority for surfing. And their mission statement is on there and one little chunk of it says, to make a better world through surfing and to promote, develop and lead surfing in all its forms worldwide while connecting the global surfing community and driving accessibility and universal participation. The ocean is the great equalizer. You don't need to belong to a certain race, religion or gender to surf. The pursuit of these fleeting walls transcends sport. It's a way of life. Surfing has the power to change the world. So they got some pretty lofty goals there. Making the world a better place via surfing. Changing the world for the better through surfing. Uh, they didn't actually exactly come up with any plans as to how they would achieve that. It's a pretty Im Im immeasurable and pretty vague goal and I just I just don't see how international surf competitions that are ignored by most people including surfers are going to change the world in any way 
the only way I can see something like this changing the world is is if Kim Jong-un sea surfing somehow via the ISA takes it up and, and then drowns or, you know, I don't know, fin to the skull or brain. Do uh, you know North Korea is actually, I'm hearing, is the last frontier for secret spots. There's, there's waves there. And I've checked it out on Google Maps. There's two and a half thousand kilometers of coastline. I mean, just given the nature of the way that country's run, apparently the coastline is all controlled by the military. So they're not really secret spots, but they're definitely uncrowded. I've had a friend who surfs in South Korea a couple of years ago and he said it was fun. He was riding longboards, but he said there's a thriving surf community emerging there. So, uh, yeah, potential surf trip destination. Anyway, I can't see fat boy Kim Jong-un starting surfing anytime soon. Putin maybe. He's a bit of a action sports guy, adventure guy, rides horses, shirtless, does a bit of jujitsu. If Putin starts surfing and then gets eaten by a shark, that would be good for a lot of people and the world. Definitely, definitely change things up a little bit. But I just simply promoting surfing, which results in more people surfing, I just don't see how that is going to make the world better. If too many people start surfing, like lineups become so astronomically more crowded and tense and, and there'll be enough frustration in the water that spills into land and then eventually could start World War Three. Crowded surf is, is just never going to change the world for the better. Uh, waves are just a finite resource. I mean, unless, you, unless this, there becomes enough wave pools, the, it starts to have such a huge effect. But it's just hard to imagine there'll ever be enough wave pools down the track to satisfy people if, if the majority of the population surfs. I've actually been thinking about these new type of wave pools though where there's been a couple of you, – you, so you have – you stand a wave pool but then you, you drop a few freshwater sharks in there to so keep the crowds down. Get, have, you have that element of risk so that pools start to feel like the ocean and, and some people are deterred and, and they're not as crowded. And the lines aren't as big. Therefore, the price will probably go down via lack of demand. There'd have to be bull sharks – I think uh, I think they're the only shark that can swim in freshwater. They can go between salt and freshwater. And if you want to know a useless word that you'll probably instantly forget, diadromous. Diadromous. Which means any type of fish that can migrate from salt to freshwater. But back to what's going on with the ISA. So they're having a surf contest at the moment in El Salvador and it it's the final qualifier for the Olympics. Surfers from 51 nations coming together to decide the final 12 Olympic spots. Over a dozen CT surfers are there competing. And there's been multiple stories on the STAB site covering this, including an interview with ISA's president. But I'm going to try and break down the, just the, the run of events as simply as possible there. So the WSL World Tour, World Tour surfers that are in the Olympics and they've qualified already via their 2019 ranking are still being made to attend this event to retain their Olympic spot in El Salvador. 
And it just feels like the ISA is attempting to, to milk their connection to the Olympics as much as possible and that's why they're making these high-profile surfers attend because normally they have zero reason to compete in ISA events, which would be fine and that's like that's a pretty smart decision for any organisation to try and, I don't know, utilise that connection and, and get the necessary exposure from that to, for their own growth. But of course, and they're changing the world. So, you know, they need as much help as they can get. But just given the fact that there's a pandemic going on and then the Olympics on top of that are already under extreme criticism because their pandemic protocols allegedly are, I don't know, a lot of people, are, a lot of people in uh, high positions regarding pandemic control uh, are saying that they're being a little bit irresponsible for continuing the, the Olympics at all. So a lot of the world tour surfers that had already qualified were pissed off and, and pretty outspoken about having to attend the event in the lead up uh, for safety reasons, which is understandable. And then at the start of the ISA games, right there uh, when all the teams first started arriving, they, they were doing significant testing, so it sounds like they're taking it serious, but they had 28 cases from 20 different teams. So, yeah, as you can imagine, this entire event turned, in, turned into an absolute nightmare. Everyone's fears came true. And Stabs editor Brendan Buckley interviewed Fernando Aguirre. I don't, that is definitely not how you pronounce that correctly. He's the, anyway, he's the president of the ISA, and one of his quotes from the article was, I spent 12,000 hours working on this. At six waves an hour, that's 84,000 waves that I did not serve and will never serve in order to make this happen. And I did this all pro bono. I put my brain, my soul, my connections and my ability into making this happen. Most people thought it was impossible. And I get his angle there, trying to appeal by surfers by relating it to his surf time. We can all relate to, to that. But I just has he not heard of sunk cost fallacy? That's like, it's classic sunk cost fallacy, it, which is uh, which is something that gets us all at, at some times, I guess. It's, it's probably why Japan won't cancel the Olympics because of the amount of money they've spent on it already. So how do you, how do you describe sunk cost fallacy? I'm just going to type that in. Simply, sunk cost fallacy is a desire not to see your past investment gone to waste so you make things worse by not quitting and yeah I, I mean we're talking about death here the, the spread of this disease can cause people to die so am I wrong in applying that cause and effect relationship I get that we're still trying to make these things happen but but making service attend when they've already qualified seems just like unnecessary, unnecessary risk to me and I don't know, unnecessary spread of this disease, potential unnecessary death. It just, uh, maybe it's just because I find surfing the Olympics uh, completely meaningless. Uh, so I have that attitude. But either way, the event went on and Idolo surfed switch in his heat, uh, but continues to go on. Steph wrote a single fin in her heat. So there's a slight making a mockery of it, including Gabrielle Medina, Chris Moore, Caroline Marks, Tatiana Weston-Webb and Brissa Hennessy quitting after their round one heats and, and leaving El Salvador, which uh, even though there's a repercharge round, they decided just to 
to tick the box of attendance and then get the hell out of this, which does make their trip there utterly pointless, um, you know, from the ISA's point of view because they didn't get to utilize those profiles. Except Italo. Italo is hanging around. He, um, and he is the defending ISA Games champ. Who can forget when he at that last uh, Olympic Games qualifier where he was in Japan for the ISA event and had his car stolen the day before his heat, including his passport. So he had to go to the American embassy, which meant um, when in trying to get back to the event for his heat, he, he, he almost missed it entirely. He showed up with nine minutes left. He gr- didn't have any boards. They were all stolen. So we grabbed one of Felipe's boards and was wearing jean shorts and so he paddled out the back, had last priority and then with one minute left, got an 8.33 and made it through. Went on to win the event, which, I mean, no one tends to care about these events so much. So, that, so he'll mostly be remembered for winning a heat uh, in jean shorts. Anyway, let's chat to Dana White, president of the UFC and producer of The Ultimate Surfer, which stars Zeke Lau, Luke Davis, Malia Ward, Anastasia Ashley, and features Kelly Slater and Joe Trapel. You know, I didn't grow up with money. We, 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 we weren't rich by any means, but uh, we built, we took this business from zero. And now the company's worth $7 billion. What's the worst thing that can happen if you try? You just have to keep grinding every day. Every day you get up. When you're at home, like you're dreading Monday, man, stop. Stop and get another job because you're in the wrong place. That, that, that's not healthy for you. Are you drinking shitloads of caffeine to get through the day and then barely sleeping? Are you one of those typical A-type personalities that's that's just doing shit all the time. So I don't, I do not drink a lot of caffeine. I don't drink coffee or any of that shit. And I do one of these a day, usually like midday. I'll hit one of these. And and by these, I mean some type of energy drink. And it's not even that I need it. I just like it. Yeah. Right. And now I like it. I think it's more like a fucking placebo for me. It did it, it mentally, uh, you know, I think that it does something for me. Yeah, I've done that before. I've made a coffee and then f- felt all juiced up and then realized I haven't even had a sip yet. And I'm like, oh, it's all it's completely <laughs> in my head. <laughs> you've been with the UFC now for t- over 20 years and you've powered through recessions and more recently the pandemic. And it's just been constant growth. UFC fight passes even grew uh, 66% during the pandemic. So what do you, what do you put that down to? You know what? I'm I'm one of these these people that, you know, if you work for me, you don't tell me no. We can't. There's always a way to figure something out. And uh, you know, this pandemic was no different. Never made sense to me. Never made sense that 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 we couldn't find a way around it. We couldn't find a way for people to go to work, for people to go to school. You know, I was up for the challenge. I wanted to figure. I didn't care if we had to build our own lab here and uh, do our own type of testing. Because I knew that they, that, you know, we didn't have testing. I don't know what it was like over there for you guys, but when this thing started, there was no testing available for it. And other countries had testing, like Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi had testing. They were way ahead of this thing. So it's was like, well, if they have testing, they figured out how to do it, so can we. 
hiding in your house for fucking a year and a half never made sense to me. <laughs> Everybody in the world is just going to hide in their house for a year and a half. How does that work? I would love to get your thoughts on the comparison. I'm coming at you obviously from uh, a background in surfing and, and we want to, I want to talk about the show that you're a producer on, The Ultimate Surfer, that you've, um, that you're currently, uh, you've currently made with ABC. But to me, I understand UFC is this, it, it's people fighting to the death. It's two people coming against each other, not to the death, but they're, they're coming against each other and that inherently is just relatable and easy to digest. And it makes perfect sense to me why the, the UFC has just exploded uh, in the way it has. And surfing is in this growth phase at the moment where the governing body of the sport is trying to grow surfing and hit these mainstream audiences and these new audiences all the time. But it's a little harder to, to relate uh, to surfing and, and understand it. Can you speak to that and the difference between ultimate fighting and surfing and how you see the ability for the audience to understand them? Yeah, well, it's the same. First of all, you know, they're very similar in a lot of different ways. First of all, tons of surfers train and, and, and our fans of UFC. And, and if they don't train in MMA, they train in jiu-jitsu or whatever it might be, some form of, of, of combat sports. And, you know, surfing is very hardcore and competitive, just like the UFC. And, uh, the, the, you know, th there's a huge grassroots following in surfing, just like there was with the UFC back in the day. Obviously, the UFC has become much more global and mainstream you know, over the last 20 years, but, um, I've always been a huge fan of surfing, you know, and even if you've never surfed a day in your life, it's like, it's like fighting, right? So fighting, I always say this fighting is, is, is the most popular sport all over the world because the rules don't have to be explained to us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from, what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA. Yeah. We get it and we like it. If a fight broke out, you would be excited and, and you would watch it. When there's a big fight on TV, even though you know it might not be the, the biggest hardcore fight fan in the world, you will watch a big fight. Um, surfing, all of us love the beach. Everybody has gone to the beach in the summertime. And surfing is sort of this like, first of all, the, the, the lifestyle and the, the, you know, the clothing that you, everybody wears surf styles to the beach. You may not be a surfer and you may not never be on a board in your entire life. But I bet you you fucking dress like one, uh, you know, at the beach in the summertime. And yep. surfing is like this, this, this cool, you know, sexy thing that people are into. But they, 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 they don't know how to get into it. They don't know how to try it. Some are afraid to. But everybody likes it. When you see a kid out there ripping it up on the waves, it's badass and it's cool. Everybody's into it. That just doesn't mean everybody's done it. It's not like a a soccer ball where everybody can get a fucking soccer ball and kick it around in a field. Surfing isn't like that. Mm. You know, you have to be with somebody who can teach you and, you know, you still think it's, you still think it's relatable though. Very relatable. I think surfing is very relatable. Um, the, the hard part is teaching people. I, I don't understand why they, they just scored that, that wave the way they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, the scoring and some of the tricks that are done on it, people might not understand. But I bet you people are willing to kick back and, and learn and watch it and, and, and find out about it. That's what happened with The Ultimate Fighter. Once we put The Ultimate Fighter on TV, uh, people got into it and they started to learn uh, about the training. They started to learn about the athletes. They started to learn about the rules. 
And it really did change everything. And what I'm hoping is the ultimate surfer changes everything for surfing. And what did you learn about surfing from being a part of this show? Well, I've been into surfing since I was a kid. I've always loved surfing. And, and I didn't have the type of money or, or, or the whereabouts to do it. But whenever I got the chance when I was younger, I got out and surfed. But, you know, when I had kids, my kids have been surfing since they were little, little. Uh, my kids can actually surf. And um, I don't know. I just, it was just always something that I wanted to give to my kids because I just love that. So, you know what I was hoping, honestly? I was hoping one of my kids would grow up and just say, fuck it. This is all I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to go to some fucking island somewhere and never come back. And I, I actually hope that for my kids, that one of my kids would do that and end up living that lifestyle. Hasn't happened yet, but, you know, there's still time. Yeah, maybe. It might get them. The Ultimate Fighter uh, was an incredible success and that, that was went on to – and that's why it's being franchised into surfing now – and you'll get, you'll get feedback when the show goes live. There's be ratings and, and viewership numbers and all those kind of things that'll give you feedback once the show's aired. But how will you measure the success of the show on a personal level? Go to season two. The show will be a success if you get to season two, you know? And if it gets to season two, it's going to be massive for the sport of surfing. So if we can get through this first season, people get on board, people love it. We make it to a season two, we're on our way. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you right now, the, 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 the sport of surfing will start to blow up. You start to, you know, you start to get mainstream people knowing, uh, somebody other than Kelly Slater. Um, you, you, you get, uh, you know, people talking about that episode. You get, uh, people going out and wanting to learn how to surf, taking surfing lessons, wanting to get their kids into surfing and taking surfing lessons. That's how it all starts. And it's a pretty impressive cast of surfers, but there were a few like criticisms of people that were like, oh, it's, it's just really good looking people. Uh, I'm assuming they're people that haven't seen TV before and don't understand how it works because obviously that's, that just factors in and, it, and, it, and it's always been a, a factor in TV and movies and things like that. But I'd love to ask you... Hey, you can put ugly people on TV too. That works too. Just... <laughs> No ugly people, uh, you know, tried out for the show probably, or maybe they were ugly and didn't have the personality, uh, you know, so only, so only the good looking ones made it. Let me tell you this. There was a ton of criticism, uh, but by some of the hardcore fans and some of the hardcore fighters, when the ultimate fighter started, criticisms don't mean shit. Um, you know, everybody's going to have their opinions on these kind of things, but, uh, you know, we're, we're not looking for them. We're not worried about them. I'm looking for the mainstream. I want the mainstream people to love this show and to get into it and start to care about surfing. What, what, what the hardcores of surfing and, you know, all those people think, they, they don't matter. Yeah, and I was going to ask how you've noticed on the UFC the, the better-looking fighters or, more, more importantly, the, the fighters with a lot of charisma, how, that's, how you've noticed that affect their careers versus people that uh, might have technical skill, might have incredible athletic ability, but don't have that, that outside of the ring uh, elements. Yeah. When you're looking to cast people for television shows, especially when I'm, when I'm looking for, for fighting, first of all, I want to know they can fight. I'm looking for, the, for, for people who can actually fight. So we look for people who can actually surf on this show. You know what I mean? Uh, that's what you're looking for, number one. Can you surf? Are you really good? Number two, personality. 
Do you have a good personality? Looks, looks is at the bottom of the, of the totem pole, believe me. Um, if you end up to have those first two things and you're good looking, home run. The format of the show is that it's pre-shot and then edited and then the show will, the show will then air and, and we'll eventually find out a winner. Have, have, you, have you had troubles in the past with the ultimate fighter of the, the winner being leaked early? And, and how do you go about trying to stop that from happening? You get sued. Uh, if it ends up that you're the one that leaked it out and you get caught, you get sued for crazy money. Um, a lot of money has been invested. And plus, if you truly are a fan of surfing and you truly are whatever, not only should you not want to leak it, you shouldn't even want to know. You, it should be fun for you that finally, finally, after all these years, you know, there's a group of people that aren't necessarily surfing people that like the sport and would like to see it blow up and, and, and get the credit that the athletes deserve. So you should be on board and, on, you know, you should be on my fucking team to make sure that this doesn't leak out, you know, and, and that this show is super successful. All, all it does is, is benefit everybody from your magazine to, you know, people who sell surfboards to sell the clothes right down to the surfers themselves. For sure. And can I ask you about Kelly's involvement in the show? How did you find working with Kelly and what, what do you admire about Kelly as a person? I've been friends with him for a long time. Um, you know, he's a huge UFC fan. He's a jujitsu guy. Um, and he's such a good dude. I mean, he's, he's just such a, a really good person. He loves the sport of surfing. And, and the other thing that I love about Kelly is, is he's a savage. You know, Kelly is a, is a, is a, is a killer. You know, he's, uh, uh, he's still out there competing with, with these guys who are, you know, 20 years younger than him and more. And uh, he still has that desire to win. And, uh, you know, if you ever watched the Jordan documentary, which is incredible, if you haven't, you should. Everybody should, even if you don't like basketball. Kelly is a killer like Michael Jordan was. How do you describe your own competitiveness and drive in business? Because you've had, you've had extreme success. You don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Do you, do you relate to those personalities when you watch that documentary and, and you see their, oh, yeah. their drive? Listen, man, I'm all about killers. I'm all about fucking you go in and you fucking destroy everybody else that even tries to compete with you. Yes, it's, it's absolutely the way I am. It's why when I watch... Um, other guys like this, whether it's documentaries about them or uh, movies or whatever it might be, I love it. Or just meet those guys. You know, you meet Kelly Slater and anybody who's watching this that knows Kelly Slater knows Kelly Slater's the nicest guy in the world, you know, unless you're on a fucking surfboard <laughs> surfing next to him, you know, <laughs> unless you're competing against him, then he wants to absolutely fucking demolish you. And uh, I love that about him. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you are openly competitive and you didn't just feed me any bullshit or any like press release sound bites or any just kind of like fluffy corporate mumbo jumbo. Uh, how have you... I'm so, sick of, I'm so sick of this. Everybody should get a trophy bullshit and nobody's feelings should be hurt and all this shit. Listen, you, you, you go out and, and you, you hone your skills no matter what it is in life, whether it's business, sports or whatever. And you go out there to fucking win. And if you don't wake up every day and, and want to win, you're in it for all the wrong reasons. You've just obviously been so candid always in interviews. You've never 
has it ever come back to bite you? Because it doesn't seem like it's ever, it's ever been, had a negative effect. And I just wonder why more people aren't like you when it comes to representing a company. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, yeah, I've had, I mean, if you look at me going through COVID, I mean, I had every fucking lunatic on earth after me, man, from the New York Times to, you know, you name it. They, they, they all came after me during that time. The difference between me and everybody else is I don't give a shit. <laughs> you genuinely don't, you genuinely don't care at all about any, like anything negative said about you? I could not express to you enough how much I don't give a shit. Is that something you work towards or is that something that you had innately or is that something that's always been inherent in your personality and makeup? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think that's, the, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in the, in the, in the eighties and, uh, you know, kids used to make fun of each other all the time. I didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, and I went to a school where kids had a lot of money. They used to make fun of my clothes every day and, I didn't have a car. Everybody else had fucking BMWs and you name it. You know, so so I heard a lot of that shit growing up. And, and it's not like, you know, some people would call that bullying. I fucking loved every minute of it, you know, and I, I used to give it back too. Um, it, it was fun. I, 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 I enjoyed that. They used to call it capping. You'd get capped on. So What, what a capping? Uh, why, did it, why was it called capping? Who the hell knows? Oh. Uh, I don't know. But, but I actually thought it was fun. You know, I knew kids that I grew up with that when I talked to, you know, later on in life, you know, they took a lot of that stuff hard and uh, didn't like it as much as I did. <laughs> Plus, I, but my, my, my home life was rough, too. My, my parents and uncles and shit said worse stuff to me than I'd ever hear at school. So I grew up with that shit. It never bothered me. I loved it. Hey, and so this show, you're working with the World Surf League, which is the Surfing's International Competitive Body. Have they ever consulted with you for, for advice on, on what they should do with their business model and, and their tour? That's funny you ask me that. Maybe like six or seven years ago, they had, they had a big, I guess surfing does this big thing down in Cabo every year. They were at that time. And they did. They knew that I was a fan of surfing and they asked me to come down and speak. And I did. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. Met a lot of cool people. I don't know whatever came out of it, but, you know, I did it. I, I love the sport. Did this show, The Ultimate Server, I've been working on this show for 10 years, maybe even more than 10 years. Wow. It took me 10 years to get this thing on the air. And hey, did you get, to, did you get up to Lemoore and were you able to surf the pool? Have you had a surf in there? Oh, no, 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 I didn't. You know, so this thing was during COVID. We were actually, you know, on the UFC side, we were the first one, the first sport to go through the pandemic. We were the first production guys to start filming uh, during COVID on on the ultimate surfer side. Well, Dana, thank you so much. I uh, I massively appreciate your time. And um, yeah, really enjoyed chatting. Pleasure, man. And listen, I, I, I love this sport. And I know a lot of the people that that, that that tune in for this love the sport too. And and I know people might be, you know, oh, I don't know about this show. Trust me, if everything goes right with this show, uh, it, it'll, it'll, it'll raise the entire industry of surfing. This is going to be a good thing for the sport. So so hopefully this thing uh, takes off and, and is a home run on ABC. Awesome. And for any of the naysayers that don't want more people to start surfing, they don't want surfing to be promoted, what's your message to them? 
Yeah, no, it's funny because that the same thing with the UFC. You had these hardcores who are like, no, this is ours. We like it the way it is right now. We don't want everybody into it. You know, I get it. I, I, I get that whole side of it too. But at the end of the day, when you really think about it, this is an incredible sport with great stories to be told, with very talented athletes who do not get the respect they deserve. It is time for these athletes and it's history to, to, to get the respect it deserves. And when I say respect, that's when you talk about some of the greatest athletes on earth, surfers should be in that conversation. When you talk about, uh, you know, which, which athletes were on the Forbes list this year, surfers should be in that, in that list and, and, and on and on and on. Um, they should have sponsors outside of uh, board shorts, T-shirts and sunglasses and surfboards, you know. Uh, they, they should have Nike contracts. They should have, you know, all these other things that all these other athletes have. These kids deserve it. It's about time. So uh, hopefully we can blow this thing up. 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 Thank you. That's it. That's all we have for this week. Thank you to Dana White for being on the show. Definitely the most high-profile guest so far on on the drop. And yeah, that's all we got. See you next week. So uh, yeah, this is fucking great. <laughs> well, don't worry. We'll uh, we'll definitely cut that out. All right, perfect. I got my fucking PR lady over here jumping around in her chair. <laughs>